eerste ervaring. En nu, ladies en gentlemen, your attention, please. Big decisions have even bigger consequences in the world of marketing leadership, where data informs everything, second chances are rare, and ROI is no longer the only metric that matters. Please join us as we go inside the funnel. one we talked a lot about movies at the beginning and and you know we're talking about artificial intelligence today um and what would be the movie parallel and you know the the obvious one is ex machina right um (laughs) why jenna because oscar isaac (laughs) and and frankly probably the best impromptu dance scene in movie history obviously Obviously, but but I actually don't think that, from my perspective, that that is that's the right movie reference. Um, for me, the the movie reference is an older one. It goes back to the seventies, and it's called The Wild Bunch, and it's by Sam Peckinpah. So, The Wild Bunch is a western uh, movie, um, and if you were to go and watch it for the first time today, it would probably be quite problematic in terms of its depictions shall we just say it's it's aged a little bit but but that idea of it aging actually um, is is pretty cool with how i think it aligns this concept of of artificial intelligence because the premise of the film is it's about these this group of guys the wild bunch who are these outlaws They're, they're terrible terrible people but they undertake one they come out of retirement as it were and they undertake one last heist and it all ends terribly. And part of the reason it ends terribly is the world has moved on. It's changed radically, um, you know, technology and all of this sort of stuff. And they, they're a bunch of old guys out of time um, and out of step with the times. Mm-hmm. And maybe I, I'm going through a midlife crisis or, or what have you. But certainly I think part of the conversation around artificial intelligence um, feels a little bit like that. And especially when you sit on the agency side of the game and when you read about how uh, marketers or and brands are find, trying to find ways to to automate a lot of functions and bring uh, to bear artificial intelligence, you know, do you do you kind of go quietly into that dark night, or or do you rage against the machine? Do you rage against the the dying of the light here? Not to get old Dylan Thomas or, or anything about it. <laughs> But so I think that's, wow, that's you, don't, you don't even need us today. Here, <laughs> I'm getting emotional here, guys. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> but but I think I think, um, you know, maybe if so, we're talking about artificial intelligence. I think we're, we're going to explore a, a wide range of areas around um, around what it does, where it works, where it doesn't work, the ethics of it. But but to begin with, um, let's let's define what it is is and and with that you know I, i'm gonna ask you dan as as a man whose intelligence is mostly authentic um what what is ai <clears throat> well that's a definitely a a question that doesn't get asked too often i find uh, the term gets thrown around fairly loosely and liberally it's a bit of a catch-all phrase for a whole host of different things but fundamentally you know artificial intelligence if if we want if i was to define it it's just really 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 advanced software running on really really advanced computers it's the um it's you know replacing what would otherwise have been a manual function that requires a human's hand or a human's mind 
with some form of computer code that is taking advantage of, you know, a, a full generation of software development and uh, hardware capabilities that are far superior to what they were, um, you know, years or decades ago, most certainly, um, and performing tasks that were, you know, really only ever achievable by a human being. So that concept of replacing what our brains do with what some clever computer code has been written to perform. And whether that manifestation is a digital one that remains inside the computer or a physical one through a robot or some kind of manufacturing process, it really is just about automated or enha enhanced um, industrialization of human thinking and capabilities. And I think... I mean, that's a big top level term. And as we break that down, we get into subsets and machine learning and supervised machine learning. And um, we can talk a little more, I'm sure we will, about different layers of intelligence from general intelligence to superintelligence and um, all of those different things. But at the end of the day, that's what we're really talking about. So when people use the term artificial intelligence, it's very important to try to drill into what vertical or what area are they referring to like what task are we talking about and you know what is the desired outcome specifically you didn't you didn't mention the part where it is also the bringer of the end times but i imagine right. we'll get there <laughs> <laughs> so so i guess it's a continuum here and and you know at one end is jenna's end times um <laughs> let's maybe set that aside for one moment um and and Dan, you you referenced that there were different layers or levels of of artificial intelligence. What are right. those? What are those levels? And where do we find ourselves right now? Right, and I think, and, and this is on my thinking. Uh, many years ago, I started reading um, uh, a wonderful blogger named Tim Urban that writes a blog called Wait But Why. And of all the technology driven articles and blogs. Uh, this one may have aged the very best of all of them. And this is something from 2015, um, which uh, the title is The AI Revolution, The Road to Superintelligence. And it's a hefty read. Uh, I made the mistake of reading part one and two of this while on vacation and then spent the rest of that night staring at the ceiling, wondering when things were literally going to end. Um, See? But it's it's a really... <laughs> yes, Jenna. The end times. Um, but... I've referred to uh, Tim's description of artificial intelligence a number of times having this conversation, and it seems to land with people really effectively. So to paraphrase, um, it's a progression between narrow intelligence, general intelligence, and super intelligence. And the pursuit, we are still living in the world of artificial narrow intelligence, which is, you know, the... The very best chess player in the world is a computer because it's one thing. It's a repetitive singular task that has been designed to do a thing. You can route yourself from point A to point B with artificial intelligence driving navigation apps like uh, Waze or Google Maps or Apple Maps. And that is a very narrow task. So there's, you know, a bajillion D, as Jenna would say, lines one of code. Bajillion D. One bajillion D lines of code written to solve a very particular problem, right? And basically the entire history of human civilization and technological evolution has been in the pursuit of bridging from artificial narrow intelligence to what they're going to call artificial general intelligence, which is a computer that can more or less replicate all functions of a human being. And when we think about that, we're talking about 
not just playing chess or driving directions. We're talking about doing dishes and assembling IKEA furniture. That's things humans can do. So a general artificial intelligence platform should be able to do all of those things and match a human's capability. And then the evolution beyond that is what they're is when the robots come and end it all, apparently, which is super intelligence. 100%, is, yes. <laughs> you know, a level of thinking and capability that outstrips human minds by orders of magnitude. So, so, so uh, go ahead now, sir. No, I was just uh, going to say, so Jenna, given, given the likely end game of all of this, why are marketers so eager to jump on the AI bandwagon? In particular, it seems like this is this is a space where um, people are champing at the bit to find ways to AI things. Well, the cynic in me, which is 98.42% of me, says <laughs> that that's because <laughs> people don't want to pay people to do things that can be done by a machine, A. Secondarily, a lot of people don't want to do those same repetitive tasks because it's not terribly rewarding. You don't have to use your thinky bits, right? You just push buttons over and over again. So there is a cause for AI to be used. And I think it's important that everybody realize we are using it. We have been. AI and digital mm -hmm. marketing has been around for years. It fuels all kinds of things in our bid platforms, the way we buy media, programmatic equals machine learning equals AI, right? So mm -hmm. AI is here and it's been here. Beyond that, I think the excitement is, I, you know, speaking for every person on the planet that markets anything, the excitement is, can we do something bigger, better, faster, cooler, stronger, right? And AI has that shine right. to it. That it's like the better, that... faster, cheaper. Yeah. Sorry, the better, faster, cheaper Venn diagram. Yeah. Whether it's like pick any two. AI kind of promises to bring all three to the table. And yeah. I think that's why people get super excited about yep. it. Do you rage against the machine? Rage against the machine. Where is it advanced the most? Because Jenna, you talk about um, things like bid platforms mm -hmm. uh, in digital media and, and algorithms that that drive um, platforms like Google Ads and, and that kind of thing. Yep. Um, beyond that, where where in the marketing space has it advanced the most, and where do we see it still emerging and and still in need of a lot of help to get somewhere? Well, I think for anyone paying very close attention, Google is more than it has ever been an AI company, full stop. So beyond like bid platforms and the bid rules that would live inside Google Ads, for example, all the new products that they're putting out in the market basically say, hey, give us your assets. Our AI is going to go turn them into things that are relevant to the users on the platform they're at at the time based on who they are, right? So it's churning through all this machine learning math and taking bits and pieces and combining it into something relevant for the user at that time. So it's taking away from marketers the need to, you know, develop 58 iterations of creative for their different offers or audiences or whatever that is and taking away the need to buy SEM plus display plus YouTube, plus, right, go on and on and on. It's taking all of that away because the AI itself can determine when and how to show a marketing message to somebody across that whole platform. So I would say that they're they're very advanced. They've got the power of Google behind them, right? Um, and that should be no surprise to anybody. Where it's starting to appear and where we're even talking about it here is things like outside of just media buying, content creation, right? 
we've all seen those hilarious examples where like they try to write a commercial for say you know a restaurant or something and they become just Mm -hmm. absolutely hilarious to read but at some point an ai can and should be able to write compelling content meaning do you need a bunch of copywriters do you need a bunch of iterations of content right or can you just turn your ai guy on and let it go to town so and i think this supports the concept of narrow versus general right master you and i were having this conversation very recently about copywriting um our sons play for the same baseball club we use an app called game changer it's awesome it interprets the scores and the scorekeeping sequence that happens in a little league baseball game and it turns it into compelling well-written sports broadcast copy to basically rehash the game and present it a way a journalist would Mm -hmm. the reason it's so good at that is because it's a very narrow window of creative uh, need there's a structure to it there's scores there's the implication of scores based on the sequence with which they happen so ai driven uh written content for sports can be very very compelling and you can believe a human did it similar for stock market reporting where again it's very structured data with a very formulaic output and newspapers use that newspapers mass media absolutely they do yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. because they can produce a minimum threshold of quality for pennies on the dollar Uh, and that is a classic example but as soon as we cross that threshold of creativity and what is more on the line. And I think, Nessa, you'll probably talk a little bit about um, the ethical uh, borderline. When you cross that, where there's some kind of ethical dilemma where you have to be careful about voice or positioning or messaging or political correctness or affiliation or whatever the case may be, the stakes go way up and everybody's confidence goes way down. And that's, I think, where we're hovering at the moment, trying to find that big breakthrough. Well, I I think an interesting component before we get into the ethics of it, um, this idea of uh, of creativity and machine driven creativity. So Mm -hmm. I I look at something like, um, you know, trends um, or something that is beautiful. Um, An AI or a machine could be trained to recognize that something is beautiful and or that people would believe that it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, and then produce something that looks like that or that iterates on that. So it can recognize and capitalize on a trend. And that is based on the data set that it's getting based on people's behavior. Um, what I think where, where I don't see it happening, unless you guys tell me otherwise, is where it, it's able to identify or create something that is completely and radically new in terms of a departure from something that has previously existed. So, you know, it's the it's the old quote from Henry Ford, um, who would say who's who famously said, you know, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have just said a faster horse. Um, but he gave them the car instead. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what you how you feel about the ability of AI to look beyond the the, the base data that the behavioral um, information gives around what people want and be able to create something that is radically new to fulfill a need, um, but in in terms of something that has never existed before. And that's where I get terribly, terribly frightened. <laughs> right? If an AI can think of something that no human has ever thought before, oh, no. I mean, because, right, w- when we read about AI, we understand that 
as it gains capability, the rate that it learns is exponential, right? The rate of change, we, we've all seen the big hockey stick curve on the rate of change, but with AI, it's, it's incalculable. So once it learns how to do something outside of a boundary that a human has given it, what does that even mean? (laughs) That's terrifying. Is it not? Like I work in the way wrong industry because I am terrified of it half of the time. (laughs) Like, you know, those, those robots that look like dogs, like the Henry Ford version of an AI driven faster horse would be like this horse with 800 little tiny spindly robotic legs and it would be (laughs) running amok through the city (laughs) and we would all be horrified. So I think, yeah, I absolutely think that the, the the people whose jobs aren't marketing or the people whose jobs aren't data analysis, the people whose jobs are AI, they're 100% working on that. That's the end game, no? Like, the, the end game is for them to be able to create, create, period, full stop. So so what, what is going to, beyond fear of our robot overlords, what, what's going to hold up adoption in our space? In our space, in media, and data, mm-hmm. and all the things we do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's only so smart as as it can be right now, right? Um, the other thing that I've seen time and time again is some of the reason we don't get adoption on some of these, you know, AI or machine learning driven initiatives or, or opportunities is because it rests control, mm-hmm. right? You you give up a little bit of your brand control. You definitely give up a little bit of your media buying and optimization control. Um, and that's an uncomfortable feeling for a lot of people. Right. And I think trust, uh, I was going to answer that with brand trust. Uh, you know, the, uh, think of any major global brand and what the branding, marketing and executive teams, how comfortable they would need to feel to essentially acquiesce responsibility over the way their brand speaks to their audience Mm-hmm. In this, uh, in the pursuit of, you know, efficiency point gains. I mean, there's a level, right? There's this risk and reward level, and I think people are terrified until they see, you know, it's it's like the auto uh, self driving cars thing. Sure, do we have self driving cars right now? Absolutely. Is wide ubiquitous adoption of those more than a decade away? Still, absolutely, it is. Absolutely, right? So. There's all this talk around what's going on, but I think until there is proof that this stuff is going to be flawless, you're not going to see wide adoption in the creative space. Now, how does artificial intelligence help in creative and marketing? Think of all of our graphic designer friends and all of the tools and so on that are available to automate their workflows and improve their experiences. That A lot of that is artificial intelligence, you know? I'm looking at you on a video conference now, Jenna, and your background is blurry, yeah. right? That's artificial intelligence deciding with a one lens 2D camera where the foreground is and where the background is. So that's AI right now in front of my eyes, mm. right? The same thing is happening in creative workflows all the time to improve that. So we're going to see massive improvements in um, scalability and effectiveness you know, optimization, think about regret running regression models and trying to find analytical opportunities. You know, the scale with which machine learning algorithms 
which is basically a subset of AI, can process reams and reams of data far quicker than a human being could and get a better result. That's here. That's We're, we're, we're in that now. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're going to see those advantages. But this acquiescence of voice control and the creative layer that Nasser sort of uh, asked about, I think that's going to be a huge barrier. So I think I think what's really interesting now is we're seeing these leaps and bounds in the development of AI, but at its at its core, it needs an input to learn, right? Mm-hmm. To to decide what is the right thing to do as the next step or the recommendation or what have you. We're living in a radically disrupted environment right now. We talked about this a little bit last time. Um, would any AI that's launched right now learn the right lessons it to apply? It doesn't right now. I, I can speak to that very plainly, at least in a, in a media environment. So let's say, for example, take a global pandemic out of it. But even if you if you set an AI on to learn during a strange behavior time, so let's say you're a retailer and you turned your AI on right before you had a big sale. And then you said, okay, now go make decisions after the sale is over. AI, go make decisions for how my campaign should be run. That thing would blow up and you would be in a deep world of hurt, right? So when it's learning based on, uh, what's the word, like unique things, when it's learning based on not normal, it's only going to respond to that not normal pattern. Mm -hmm. So when the pattern changes again, that will seem like a deviation. When we air quotes go back to normal and everybody's vaccinated and people go outside or whatever, right? That's going to seem like a deviation, to this AI right. that's been running during these strange times right now. So mm-hmm. we do have to remember that it's only as good as the data points that it has, and that's what it's basing the truth on. Right. And to take that a little further, how many times have we been in a uh, client meeting conversation, think about some of our clients that are large national brands, distributed local footprints, franchise networks, where there's yep. lots of different businesses, and we're making decisions based upon anecdotal information that we are hearing through conversations or informal exchanges, yeah. right? AI needs structured, reliable streams of data coming from all sources with which to make those decisions. But when we hear that regional franchise group X or Y has some parochial handshake agreement with some outdoor advertiser and we don't get the data for that in the feed, but we want to play into that with our tactics, right? Think of all the myriad of nuances that happen in the realities of our job and how do you substitute for those data streams we try to get a full data feed from our clients for closing the loop on conversions or roi models at the very simplest and that's a struggle sometimes imagine if you really wanted to let ai drive the bus how much more data you would need streamed back in to close that loop sure so so think about this then um there's always an, you know, there's there's typically an advantage uh, to being an early adopter or first mover, right? Um, but is that the case with AI, where it needs time to learn? Let's say it's an AI platform and you're an early adopter uh, of that platform. Um, are are what you is what you're doing in fact allowing your data to fuel? the development of the AI, which then when a later adopter who is likely to be a competitor then take, comes on to the platform, they will have, you know, they'll leap ahead of you in terms of efficiency based on the investment that you made initially. 
Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? It, it does. Classic network effect. Yeah. Yeah, but that's still that's still a yes and no though, right? Because you mm-hmm. will have learned what it's capable of well before competitor B that jumps into the fray will have done. But would, would you? Because I mean, look at look at some of the auto optimization in media sure. today, right? I mean, when when that stuff first launches, it's not very good. Correct. And the reason it's not very good is it hasn't had a chance to learn yet, yeah. um, or a big enough data set. Yeah. Um, so you would have to go through that pain, whereas if if somebody else waits six months and then jumps in, they will be working with a much more knowledgeable and mature um, AI. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I waver back and forth on the answer to that, because yes, I agree with you. That is exactly how it works. It gets smarter as it goes. But at the same time, if you're doing it right you're moving and changing things in response to everything that's going on all the time anyway, right? Like we still have to drive the AI. Right. Somebody still has to tell it what to do. And so theoretically, we're we're getting better and better and better against ourselves for if six months is our time frame. We're outperforming ourselves subtly with little tweaks for six straight months. Competitor B jumps mm-hmm. in. They're not necessarily going to make up that full six-month span Right, that we've had to tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak based on what we've got. So I I, I see both sides of that coin, um, and I do know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, we've had we've been first adopters. We're into you know betas and sometimes even alphas on on certain tests like these, and they don't work at the beginning. And then they come back around, and we're like, oh, I don't know, it doesn't really work, but we'll try it again. And we're like, oh, works now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's there's both sides of the coin on that one. There's a component of this um, that I think leads into a bigger conversation, um, which is around the ethics of AI and, and why it, it, mm-hmm. it causes a lot of concern. Um, you know, before we even get into you know Jenna's recurring nightmare of, <laughs> of the robots killing everybody, um, there there are real ethical concerns when it comes to AI. Yeah. Uh, Dan, do you, do you want to perhaps start to uh, on that, and then, and then Jenna, if you can pick that up, sure. I mean, you know, we've had lots of clients in the uh, insurance space and financial services and the classic, the classic AI ethical um, paradox, I think, sits in the insurance space around self-driving cars, where uh, while there's all the, you know, counter collision and avoidance technology built in at some point, somewhere down the road, a self-driving vehicle is going to be put in a position where it needs to make a choice between harming uh, the scenario is you're driving down a road uh, there's an unavoidable accident if i don't take corrective action i'll surely have an impact that will kill the driver but if i do take corrective action i might save the driver but kill a pedestrian on the sidewalk or another driver and the conversation is rooted in who's responsible for making that choice right now as automobile operators we're responsible and that's it's black and white. But in this future state, if I'm just a passenger reading the newspaper while my car is doing its thing, am I responsible? Is the automotive manufacturer, is the engineer that wrote that particular algorithm responsible? And it gets into this real paradoxical situation where it's tough to find out where the 
responsibility and ultimately the blame, not to use a negative word, but there is a blame association situation that's going to arise. And then when we bring that back down into something that's a little more tangible to the digital marketing space, it's back to this brand voice and trust and decisions are made, you know, mistakes were made. Uh, and, and here we are in a boardroom looking at each other saying, well, where does that responsibility lay if things do go awry? Uh, you made a point about driving the AI. You know, mm-hmm. a supervised deep learning model on a neural network. That's not, there's creativity going on there, but it's supervised. There's somebody sitting over the right. top of it. When we get to the point where we do really relinquish that control, where is that barrier? And I think it's so fuzzy for people. Um, and as the stakes get higher and higher, the time to adopt those new ideas is going to get longer and longer and more complicated. Yes. So take that back to the fact that somebody is sitting over top of it and somebody is steering it right now, right? Mm -hmm. So let's go back to Ex Machina for a second. Oscar Isaac's character should not be the person that is training an AI. (laughs) Oscar Isaac in real life, I'm sure, would create a lovely and wonderful AI. But we have to think about when and if we do move into general artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence someone's going to be programming it to get there someone's plural is going to be programming it to get there Mm -hmm. so there's this i think it's taken on like urban legend status but i'm 98.2 percent sure that i read it for real back in early ai studies they built two that learned how to speak to one another they got that smart that they could converse with one another and they were programmed the same way, but yet one become, became this terrible, racist, awful, swearing AI <laughs> and the other one was its polite next-door neighbor. But think about that. It got inputs from someone and it spun off crazily depending on how it read the inputs. So if there's no way to, to tell how much control you can have over the ethics it decides to learn when it veers from general into almost super, right? When we start to cross that strange threshold, that's Mm -hmm. a really scary thought. But for right now, we have to think about like, there's no universal code of ethics on where, you know, where X things should be deployed and how. The only places that there is such a thing is like the Hippocratic Oath, right? Or, you know, things that are legal. So... that's the computer software thing. Everything is a, it's inherently biased based upon the biases introduced by the original right. engineer. Right. Google Translate had that problem. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it might have been Turkish is a genderless pronouns mm-hmm. in Turkish. And if you put in uh, uh, she, uh, at one point, if you would translate it from English to Turkish and back again, and if I'm wrong, somebody let me know. I believe it was Turkish. If you said um, she's a doctor and he's a babysitter, and you translated it to Turkish and then back to English, uh-huh. the final English translation was, he's a doctor, she's a babysitter. Sure. It, it reversed those because of the bias, the gender bias introduced by the original engineer of that software. It's since been corrected, but that's a good example of where. It's a reminder that this stuff is software produced by human beings. Yep. And the quality and the evilness of the AI that results from it is going to be a derivative of those introduced biases. And that's the the blog I mentioned earlier in the show um, by Tim Urban. Part two of his article speaks about that 
Uh, and again, it's, it's, it's very worthwhile reading, even though it's five years old now. Yeah, I, I think this point about who trains the AI is critically important. Um, you know, we, we look at, like, you have two options. You either release the AI into the wild and you have the, you know, the crowd train it, in effect. And, and that's, that's one of the things that did happen. And, you know, everybody or a lot of uh, nefarious players jumped on that AI and it's, it turned into essentially, you know, robo-Nazi uh, within a couple of right. days and they had to shut it down. <laughs> right. um, and, and then, but the alternative is it, it's, a, it's an engineer. Um, and unfortunately, where, where we see a lot of these uh, things playing out, you, you have this kind of programmer culture um, which is kind of homogenous and and you know not all that progressive. And what what are the outcomes? Like the tangible real world outcomes? Well, here's an outcome: um, people of color um, do not are are less act, able to activate uh, certain types of facial recognition. Yep. Right mm-hmm. in certain types of apps. And, and you look at that and you're like, well, that makes no sense. And then you say, well, who was it designed by and who was it designed for? Yep. And there is inherent bias. And the problem with AI is that, you know, it's, it's not just that it is as smart or dumb as its creator. It's an amplifier of those core values. And if, right? if there's one thing we don't need, it's amplification beyond what social media can already do <laughs> of right. people's opinions, right? So, again, you, you see why I take the terrified route rather than the, oh, no, it's friendly and it's good and we need it route. Because by its very definition, the thing is meant to take over from us at some point. So what is it meant to take over? Let, let's look at it from a from a from a career development perspective. As as a, as marketers, um, you know, fairly late in our careers, mm-hmm. but also we've got uh, we've got people that we're responsible for. What do we tell them about how to develop their career? Um, what is it What is it designed to do that is going to make people's careers better? Um, what is it designed to do that will create impediments for people's uh, career development? Yeah. It's a really interesting conundrum, and I've, I've thought this left, right, upside down, and sideways several times. It's cool because it takes away the redundant, time-intensive, kind of annoying, to be honest, task work, right? But at the same time, so, so what that gives you then is more time to be strategic, more time to look around the corners and see what's coming, you know, more time to do the actual thinking that's required in marketing. That's awesome. But when you're a junior person starting out, where's your career path now? Like, how do you, because that's how you learn. Yes, Dan, I'll let, I'm on my soapbox, hold on. (laughs) When you come in as a junior person, that's how you learn. You push the buttons, you do the repetitive tasks, you understand how the platforms work, you start to manipulate the platforms, and when there are fewer things to manipulate, fewer things to learn, you don't automatically gain that experience to jump 10 years in, in life experience to be able to do the strategy parts. So it's a little weird to think about do you only ever come to marketing after you've done something else before when, you know, like, so it's, it's a weird, weird thing to think about unless you're going to design junior people to train AIs, which is also a route to go. I want to point out that my AI learning model taught me to raise my hand <laughs> rather than talk over you. Yes, like I did. Dear earlier. listeners, Dan just raised his hand on a podcast. <laughs> Excitedly. I was kind of excited because I had a point to add. Uh, 
I think I think about the guys uh, in my data science group. They know how to use AI and they are awesome at their job because of it. Yep. Right? Yep. Because they know how to use the tools that are available to them and the heavy lifting, to offload the heavy lifting appropriately, they become more valuable because they can orchestrate these technologies and bring the value of them to the table in a very, very meaningful way. So for the foreseeable future, I think becoming a, you know, AI ML whisperer and an orchestrator of these things mm -hmm. and evangelizing their benefits and understanding their limitations and you know, putting the right stuff forward and not shying away from it could be a real fire starter for the right type of junior person yep. that wants to come in and say, I'm going to design my career around being a bit of a, uh, a bit of a Mozart when it comes to this stuff. I, I like this idea. In fact, it, it dovetails nicely with how I view um, the emergence of AI in our space. I'm I'm a lot more bullish uh, about it and positive about it, I think, than Jenna. But but that's that's just a general outlook on life, I think. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I don't I really disagree. <laughs> but <laughs> find, find find a situation where that's not the case. I'm glad <laughs> about it. But but I I do think um, you know. So look look at industrialization. There was all of this fear around industrialization and automation that it would lead to gigantic layoffs. Um, and while it did eliminate certain jobs, um, it created new ones that didn't exist and weren't, couldn't even be envisioned sure. um, to exist at the beginning. Um, I, I love this idea. And, you know, it's not my, it's certainly not my expression. Uh, it's, our, it's our friend Robert Cooney, uh, who we work with, uh, talked about, you know, how do, we, how do we use these platforms to automate the boring stuff? Right. That repetitive stuff that just in our souls we hate doing uh, but it has to be done because no one else is there uh, to do it um, how do we how do we use these platforms to build out um, content that is going to vary incrementally from one location to the next um, I think I think that is going to open up all kinds of opportunity to the right type of people who want to apply themselves strategically, who are well-rounded in their outlooks on the world. Um, you know, it's almost like a, like, a, like a renaissance man or a renaissance woman. You know, people, I love what you said, Jenna, around, you know, bringing experiences from other places mm -hmm. into this job and applying it. You know, what, what AI doesn't do is have empathy. Right. Um, and those people that are truly creative, that are truly strategic and truly empathetic, I think AI opens up a world of opportunity and frankly access into the digital space that has, you know, traditionally been guarded by the Uber nerds who know how to run a platform and you don't know how to run this platform, so I'm more valuable than you. Mm -hmm. I, I think that I I'm very positive about the the potential impact of that. Um, so let me let me ask then uh, the group and 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 we'll we'll then round it out. But sitting on the agency side, um, should we be worried about this? And and what should we do about it? Uh, frankly, uh, as we as we interact with brands who are highly motivated to find ways to drive efficiency, to to cut costs, to drive performance, um, and to automate through AI platforms. Uh as much as I get the rap of the, the pessimism pessimist of the bunch, which is not not true. <laughs> no, I don't think we're worried about it right now. 
at all, right? So there is so much happening all the time that as an agency, that's our job. Our job is to stay on top of what's happening, understand how it works, understand where it might be a good idea to test for a certain client, understand where it's not the right choice. And so us, it actually helps us do our jobs right now today with you know automating the boring stuff, but it also, there is value in having an agency partner that sees all of these things. There's value in having an agency that has more than one client under its roof because different AI will perform differently in different client scenarios as well. So the combined intelligence of the agency um, is, is more than you would get if you were just running it on your own program by mm. yourself. So right now, no, it's not something I'm worried about. I think there is a there's a there's a talk track, there's a narrative happening out there in the world that indicates, yeah, we should be worried. And that narrative says, well, AI is going to take these agencies' jobs. And I say, not anytime soon. It's not right. It's I'm the part that I'm terrified of is not happening now. And so for right now and for the foreseeable future, I think an agency partner is exactly what you need as you're entering mm-hmm. deeper into kind of the AI-driven world. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I think that it will take or eliminate certain types of agency responsibilities. If your agency is focused exclusively on optimization of a single platform, maybe even in a single vertical, so you're like, yeah, we're an automotive agency. Well, y- yes, you should be kind of scared, right? Um, because you're not bringing anything new that cannot be automated the fastest, right? Right. Right. But, but mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're looking at this from a full funnel approach, if you're looking at bringing together multiple platforms, if you're looking to um, how you optimize a full uh, customer journey sure. um, against different audiences in different industries and being able to bring learnings across platforms and across industry, that is not something that oh, yeah. can and, be automated. And AI is not going to automate a full omni-channel enterprise to local customer journey effectively. Right. And I was going to say, as soon as, you know, we are, I think it's, nobody would argue that we are a ways away from a ubiquitous system that is multi-channel, multi-tactic, multi-format, multi-publisher platform, where you just say, this is the company that I am. And it orchestrates right. and creates and executes on everything. And until we arrive there, I would argue that with every new introduction of a new AI here, or a different way there, it's actually adding complexity to the ecosystem of what we are faced with. So back to the idea about who are your whisperers? Who are the people that really understand this stuff? Because if the publisher comes along and says, hey, don't worry about everything else. Just give me all your money and let our machine do the thing. Clearly, there's a fox in the hen house there, and we're missing a bigger picture. So if you can agree to that point, then we're still dealing with a very complicated ecosystem that is only getting a little bit more so with every new introduction and new iteration of what's going on here. Um, and one day we may get to the point where it's a single pull a lever and everything gets taken care of, but I would suggest we're a ways from that. I still want to build a physical lever that you can pull, maybe like out of brass and, and other metals. <laughs> like um, a steampunk yeah, oh, it's, digital I was just going to say, it totally has lever. to be steampunk, a whole bunch of gears and some copper. That's it, yeah. that's it. no doubt. <laughs> like when we launch a campaign, we literally pull the uh-huh. lever. Yeah, and, and a burst of steam comes out the side as well. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> So Dan, what about this subject frustrates you? 
Oh, frustrations. It's the frustrates. So back to, I, you know what, back to that original thing about the, the, the definition and the interpretation. You know, what are we doing with AI? It's like, well, what are we doing with AI? We're doing a lot of things, right? That's that general statement about AI strategy. I feel it getting much more refined now. I feel people saying, you know, how are we, how are we leveraging automation tools to improve our productivity? That's a great question. That's a really good question that deserves considerable thought, a ton of energy and effort put towards it to pursue that to some kind of end game. I feel like what are we doing with AI is a buzzword uh, that a lot of people are, uh, are still stuck on sometimes. Um, and I think the more educated people become on the stuff that we're talking about today generally, the more informed uh, and the more capable the different verticals and tool sets become, the better people are at articulating their vision for what uh, this should do. Uh, and I know that um, you know we're talking a lot internally about automation opportunities and how to improve that. We've, Jenna, as you and I have discussed frequently, we've been huge proponents of using artificial intelligence-driven yep. technologies in our business for many, many years already, and we continue to do that. So I really do, uh, you know, I, I like, again, it comes back to general knowledge and understanding and people really being curious enough to, to determine, you know, which path they want to take, and then let's pursue that path. So what I'm hearing is we shouldn't rage against the machine. We should embrace it as we continue to do. With one eye open. <laughs> see what you did there Uh all right and with that thank you dan temby jenna watson i'm nasser salul you've been listening to inside the funnel you've been listening to inside the funnel with jenna watson dan temby and nasser salul until next time don't forget to like subscribe and connect with the ac wherever you see us online